What's up, everybody? Armand here, back with another episode. Today's guest you might remember from episode 19, it's Josh Boone. So last time we went over his pretty crazy story of growing an ad agency in his early 20s, selling it off for seven figures a few years later, and then traveling the U.S. to find himself. We talked about some of the mental health battles that he faced at the time and that he's still facing today. So this time, I wanted to get a little deeper about his habits and his hobbies. I feel like we talked a lot about his company, but didn't just kind of glossed over those before. I really liked having him on, and I really liked this episode. We talked about supplements that he takes. Uh, we talk about the art of making tea gung fu style, which I absolutely loved that conversation. I really like tea. And yeah, no, now I have my own uh, gong fu set. It's pretty great. And we also talk about a little bit more about the the mental health struggles that he faces and how to be an entrepreneur with those. So Josh has um, gone through anxiety. Uh, he faces bipolar and and ADHD. So these are things that just impact him in his life. And he talks about growing a business while also going through that. This episode was really fun to do. I always like having Josh on. We talk a lot outside the show, uh, and it turned me into an absolute tea head. Um, Thanks, Josh. I now spend a lot of money on tea. (laughs) So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I do. Um, Please enjoy this episode of the Play Hard Podcast. Work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard. Sometimes not. Yeah, I think this one. <clears throat> These days, hopefully. I just, I just roll right into it, kind of Joe Rogan style. Uh, I'll often tell people like, "Oh, I'll probably cut in like five, ten minutes in." I usually cut in like a minute or so, and you know, I, it just yeah. it makes people feel a lot more comfortable uh, feeling like we're not immediately jumping into it. Most of the time, I do though, but that's just a little. Just a little uh, interview hack I've, I've found over the years. What what typically? How do you typically get people like really comfortable? Yeah, it's funny. The episode I just posted this past weekend or like this past Friday, uh, it's it. We just went straight into the interview and started talking, and mm-hmm. it worked so well that I gave listeners a listen into what I usually say in my pre, like pre interview, just because it was yeah, it was so smooth. But um, I, I usually tell people the show, like what the show is about, kind of the three sections. And um, I mean, we went, we went over this in the show, your venture, your habits and your hobbies. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like with you, the episode was so much like into the story and the story was so good. We did kind of like gloss over the the habits and hobbies a little. Bit. I mean, we talked about it, but there were you yeah. have so many other cool ones that I think we could really dive into. And that's why I'm excited for this, this part too. Hell yeah, man. Let's jump right into it. Yeah, uh, so for the for the listener that uh, might not remember, episode 19, Josh Boone, honestly, fan favorite. I had a lot of people comment on that to me, either in person, over text, uh, just because of how, how kind of real we get with the, the fact that most people get told that in your 20s, you're supposed to be working as hard as you can and saving up and building your life so that in your like, I don't know, 40s and 50s, you can kind of chill, like you're set for your family and your 30s and all this. And we both kind of were like, that's kind of bullshit. Like you should probably focus on being a good person and like enjoying your life in your 20s. Because if you push that off, that's only gonna happen later. And you still have to go through that kind of work, or you just can spend the rest of your life not really liking yourself, which 
um, sounds miserable to me. But yeah, it was a good episode. I enjoyed it a lot. And thanks for coming back, dude. Hell yeah. Anytime, man. I had a good time. Um, I think the last episode, I re-listened to it yesterday just to make sure we didn't go over the same ground. Um, I have the memory of a goldfish. So I'm I'm like, I don't know (laughs) what we even talked about other than the, you know, the big bullet points. But uh, I think I started the conversation by being like, yeah, I was on a couple podcasts this week. I didn't really enjoy myself. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but your, yours was one of the most enjoyable I've been on. So I've, this is when he asked me to do a round two, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's, let's go on and do it. Uh, it's amazing. There's like 2 million podcasts out there. And the amount that I would probably listen to is like not very much, you know, like most people yeah. are just not, they're not, they're not good at it. Have you, have you been on other, a lot of other people's podcasts? I have. And what I've noticed, I've been on friends podcasts for fun. Those were really enjoyable because it was like legit, just friends chopping it up and it was more entertaining. Um, But I have been on others. It's interview style. I would say the biggest thing, the biggest piece of feedback that I get that separates me and I think is what people are looking at and talking to and anyone who's looking to start an interview podcast can use this is they ask questions to get through their questions. They don't yeah. they don't really like ask questions to listen and expand on those questions. Like one of the best pieces of advice I saw from are you familiar with Dax Shepard, um, armchair expert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't listened to the show, but I've I've heard good things about it. I, I really like that podcast. Um what I have at the top of my um, of my episode prep for every episode, number one in bright, bold, red hit record. <laughs> That's the <laughs> <Yeah>. first thing. <laughs> number two, it's, uh, what Dax shed. So when he went on, on Smartless, it's like his other friends, um, like Will Arnett, Jason, who's the guy who did Ozark? I forget his last name always. I'm not sure. And then some Sean Hayes. So they all, they all have a podcast together and their first episode was Dax. Cause he was, you know, two years into the game, knew it a lot better helped him out. And what he said was you should prep for if your guest is a dud, but if you can sense that they run, let them run. And Mm. that's probably like how I've done every single interview. Like I do as much prep as I can so that I'll have minimum 45 minutes worth of a conversation if I have to carry the conversation. But if I feel like the guest, like in your episode, we hardly went over the stuff that I wrote down just because I was like, okay, this guy is really good at talking and his stories are very entertaining. Like, let's just go along with this. Um, and I think that's something that guests could, hosts could really uh, improve on is not just asking questions to ask questions. Like yeah, yeah. having a set of questions is important. Don't get me wrong, but don't just be married to them. Yeah. And there's been some that I've been on where, you know, we got a really good vibe going and we're going to some really interesting spot. And then, then they're like, Oh, Oh, Oh shit, shit, shit. And they're like going back to their cue cards and, you know, and they're just like, Oh, okay. Well, what about this? And I'm like, dude, we had a good thing going. Like even me listening to like, I was enjoying the conversation. This was good. And then you just like turned a freight train around, like to, to go in a different direction. And you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's their show. They can navigate it however they want. If they want to go in that direction, it's fine. But I felt like there's there could have been a natural bridge there that wasn't so mm-hmm. abrupt. And that happens all the time in podcasts I listen to where they got a really good train of thought going and then it just like veers somewhere else. And I'm like, no, no, I wanted you to spend more time playing in that area a little longer. You know, like let, let that linger yeah. a little bit. Sometimes that just happens like with Joe Rogan, it's just ADHD. You know, like, like yeah. you just, you go and, and I'm guilty of that. There's been times I've been, when I've been editing my stuff and I listen back, I'm like, 
man, that was a good thing. I should have lingered on that a little longer. It happens. I do that too. Yeah. And, and I think do you ever that's listen fine. back and go like, oh, this is what, if I were to be in this moment again, these are the questions I would ask. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Dude, all I think that's really helpful for podcasts. Yeah. And, and it's a learning experience. It's like everything that I've done, like, Jesus, man, I, um, I think back all the sales meetings and shit that I've been in over the years, I just cringe about like, you know, like mm. the questions I asked or how I went about it, but that's growth. You know, if yeah. you don't cringe at like shit that you said a year or two ago, it's like, you're not growing. You know, Dude, my first few cold calls, I had a guy tell me that he was like, I can tell you're reading from a script. I had another guy <laughs> pick up the phone and be like, God damn, robo dialers. Like, oh, my God. That was an automated voice. That one yeah. hurt more than the script because at least the other guy was talking to me. This dude straight yeah. up thought I was a robot. Oh, um, God. But Doing yeah, you, you look back days. on that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's, that's everyone, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in a position where, you know, most of the people I deal with are senior in their career or they're, you know, they're founders or they're CEOs or whatever. And I've had so many conversations with people that by all accounts, you know, you'd be like, wow, you're a badass. Like, you know, you've got this crazy yeah. life and, but then they'll tell me like, they still every once in a while just cringe at shit that they've said over the years. And, you know, they still do that all the time. And it's just like, it, it never really goes away. It just, you just get kinder to yourself and you, you have more empathy yeah. through yourself. But yeah, it's, it's just it's the same thing. I think last conversation we talked about that, like that kind of voice in your head that's always like you could be doing more or whatever. Like it never really fully goes away. But also that I cringe mean, is growth. It's kind of like a, I mean, not pleasant sign, but a sign of growth nonetheless. Like if you yeah. can look back and say, wow, I would have handled that so much uh, differently or more maturely now, then you can look back and say, okay, so I have come a long way because that's not what I would do today. Yeah. And, and so much of that for me with my mental health has just been like, holy shit. I, I was like really fucking manic. You know, I, I didn't realize I, you know, I have bipolar. I got it. I didn't realize I was bipolar. So, you know, there, you know, there's, a, I was not only not on medication for that, but I was taking things that actually made it worse pretty mm. significantly. So, I mean, that's probably a good segue into the, the the supplements here in a minute. But, like, I look back at that even a couple of years ago and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, you know, I'm not very – I'm not very happy with how I came off. Like, yeah. I must have came in like this, like <laughs> there's this, there's this moment through history. I forget who it was, but somewhere I, I read about this, this moment where um, not equating myself to Hitler, but it's funny. <laughs> there's this moment in history where like Mussolini was having a talk with Hitler, right? Like when they were like, you know, buddies and he's like, I think I'm going to break the band up. Like, I, I think we're going to pull out of this and, and, yeah. and he was really nervous, really nervous. And he didn't know how the conversation was going because Hitler could just be like, I declare war on you. Like, you know, it's really, yeah. really nervous. So they did this. He spent all this time preparing and he was really anxious. And all of a sudden Hitler busts through the fucking door and just starts manically like going on a rant for like two hours and like doesn't stop talking. And Mussolini is just sitting there like, what the fuck is happening? And he doesn't know what to do. And then Hitler's like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. Awesome. And then he just like leaves and Mussolini is like, what the fuck just happened? Like, because Hitler was super fucking high on amphetamines, just like manic off his rocker, like came in just like, 
like an explosion and like Mussolini didn't even know what to do. And like, I felt like I was kind of like that sometimes when I was, you know, and I have my agency, I just come in like all manic, like super high on like Adderall and caffeine and, and on like some manic cycle. And I look back and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh, you know, but it's a learning experience, you know, yeah. you figure it out. So dude, I was going to say, first of all, this is a great segue um, because I did want to, we talked extensively about your company and your experience, like your ventures in the last episode. So for the listeners, go ahead, check it out. Me in the show notes. Um, But what I did want to talk about is you do mention how you've uh, had run-ins with ADHD, bipolar and anxiety throughout your career. Like how did that kind of the stress of entrepreneurship you know, fuel or how, how is it managing that through the stress of being an entrepreneur? Cause I can imagine. So sometimes you're taking substances like Adderall, but that kind of amphetamine does like side effects are psychosis, mania, things like that. Like how did yeah. you deal with that when you're so stressed starting an agency at like in your early mid twenties? Yeah. I mean, I think about this a lot because like I am really, really hard on myself, really hard on myself. I'm very empathetic with other people and uh, I'm almost too empathetic, which is something that I'm actually learning. There's a great book, highly recommended if you're kind of, um, if you A, deal with any autoimmune issues or B, any serious mental health issues. And particularly if you're someone like myself, who's like, constantly feels like they have to be responsible for not only themselves, but everybody around them. They're an overachiever. Mm-hmm. They, they overwork themselves or really hard on themselves. If you have, you exist in that, that, you know, spectrum. Um, there's a book that Dr. Gaber Mate just came out with called the myth of normal. And it's kind of like his, he, he's older. I think mean, he's like 78. So this is kind of like his magna opus of everything. And, and it's really helped me a, a lot, but you know, so through reading that book, I've kind of been like reprocessing a lot of these things and looking back at like the whole timeline of, you know, where my mental health issues stem from and how deeply rooted they are and how much of that, you know, plays into the entrepreneurship and then how much of it is kind of like comorbid. And I, I, w- I would say ultimately, like, I constantly ask myself how how much of the struggle would I have just as an entrepreneur by default and how much of it is extremely exacerbated by the mental health issues and how much of the mental health issues are baseline default to like I would have no matter what I did in my life and how much of it is fueled and greatly amplified by the feast and famine of being an entrepreneur because a lot of these mental health issues actually stem from a lack of feeling of security in early childhood. And these, these like ADHD and, and some of these other symptoms can basically be like coping mechanisms that your brain starts to form around due to feeling like you're in an insecure environment and uh, anxiety disorders, uh, things like fibromyalgia, uh, you know, uh, a lot of these stem from a lot of that, which is what I'm, you know, been learning the last couple of years with going to the Cleveland Clinic and then people like Dr. Yeah. Gabramante. So I, I, I don't know, you know, I look at my, my mental illness happy stack, if you will, and it's pretty daunting. And I, I, my baseline reality is very, very difficult on a day-to-day basis because I not only have those mental health issues, but I also have an autoimmune condition that sometimes makes it hard for me even to get out of fucking bed. 
So I'm there in bed with severe inflammation to the point where I have really bad brain fog and I'm tired and I'm fatigued and I don't have the energy to do anything. Yet I have that voice in my head. That's just like, you're fucking being lazy. You need to get up. You need to do that. And the problem is, is that you're always kind of like an addict. You're always looking at like that, that metaphorical bottle of Adderall and like ibuprofen and like caffeine staring at you being like, if you took the, a bunch of ibuprofen, you could get the inflammation down. You mm. would get the brain fog down. If you took the Adderall, you could focus more clearly and you could do the things you need to do. And if you took the caffeine, you'd have the energy to be able to complete all your tasks. And they're sitting there and they're staring at you. And, you know, you're, you're, but you know, if you do that, it has severe consequences. And it revs that engine back up and it actually makes it way worse because what you're doing is, uh, I think the old adage is like, you know, drinking today, like robs you of happiness tomorrow. It's like, it's the same concept where it's like, you're giving up, you know, efficiency today. It's like, you know, it's like in a video game, you use like, you know, the, the extra power up or whatever. It's like, you can do that, but in this case it has severe consequences. And you it's know, like your I'll, character gets weaker in the next yeah, few levels if you do that. Kind exactly. Of thing. So it's just like I have had, you know, I, I occasionally do. I don't really have a lot of caffeine these days. I try to limit it as much. Like, honestly, like the tea that I'm going to be making today, uh, uh, y- you know, it, it is actually non-caffeinated. Uh, it's, it's actually pretty cool. It's from a small farm and they actually process these, uh, uh, these tea leaves that are similar to tea, but they process it like normal tea. It's pretty cool. I'll, I'll show you in a bit, but like, I'm trying to minimize my caffeine. I'm trying to minimize any of my uppers stimulants because like I've just found over the years that that baseline, even if it's, I'm not nearly as effective, you know, grinding, it creates a better baseline that I can function more in the yeah. long you know, so it's, it's, it's fucking hard because again, I, I grew up in, it's like the know, output is, is multiplied, but so is your likelihood, not likelihood, but like, so is your time to burn out. Oh yeah. Like what you can do is so much shortened, but what you put out is heightened. So it's like, all right, how do I want to balance this sort of thing? Yeah. And occasionally like, um, you know, my, my partner, she was, she was over in uh, the UK for work like two weeks ago. She was gone for a week. And there was this night where like, I don't know, like I, I try not to stay. I'm a night owl and I try to like yeah. sleep a normal schedule these days. Cause again, I found that the, the gains, the, the, the negative aspects of staying up late actually, uh, even though I enjoy it more are actually worse for me. And, and, you know, on a, on, yeah. a, on a consistent basis, but there was this night where like, I just kind of was like really vibing with this project I was working on. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make some tea. I'm going to be upstairs. I'm going to have all these moody lights. If you're watching video, I got all these like lights going and it's just like, you know, it's, it's chill. It's definitely a vibe. I'm going ha- to have some lo-fi on the background. I might crank some nine inch nails super loud and I'm just going to stay up and I'm just going to do some deep work. And that was fucking fun, you know, but I, I went into it with intention being like, yeah, I'm not going to do this for a while. You that's know, that's the thing. And I was going to say, sometimes there are people. So, like, my brother is someone who he does his most productive and creative work at night. But he also yeah. tries to set himself a good kind of routine. And he knows if he stays up too late and he's got to get up the next morning, that's just not going to be a good day. Like, no yeah. one functions well on little sleep. Well, I'm not going to say no, but most people don't function well on little sleep. So, 
I think that what you said about the intention of knowing, okay, tonight, because I'm feeling it right now, because I have the right mood and I know I'm going to be getting the right work done, I'm going to do that. Yeah. How would you say that compares to, do you ever have days where you stare at those bottles and you go, all right, today I'm taking Adderall. It's not something I'm going to do long term, but I got to get something done. It hasn't in a long time. Um, I have, I still have like a very small stash of Adderall that I keep mm-hmm. like in my like break in case of emergency, like zombie yeah. apocalypse. Like I like shit, I like shit emergency. I, I need to just function at max capacity kind of thing. But I, as like the older I get and the more time I have away from taking it, the more I realize that even if like zombie apocalypse situation would happen, I actually don't think I would want to take it. Because I actually yeah. think it would distort my decision making. And I have things that I can take that are a lot better, but more subtle and, and less, uh, you, you know, so I, I, to, to answer your question, no, not anymore. There, there is that, that, that little kind of peak of a voice in the back of my head being like, you know, you could take that and you could bust this out. But yeah. at the same time, like I know that the downsides of that are far more. And there's other things like, uh, you know, I got Subroxy here and uh, uh, L-tyrosine that kind of basically are like a, a healthier, more sustainable Adderall that I can take, uh, you know, the, the pretty much on a daily basis and not really have any sort of issues with. So, you know, I have, I have those things that help, but you know, with particularly with the autoimmune condition, like with my health just being so up and down. What is the condition? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So I have mast cell activation syndrome and basically there's a lot of, it's, it's insane how I've been to probably like 20 different specialists and nobody could quite figure out what my problem was. Yeah. I actually had a couple doctors think it was just psychosomatic and I was just making it up. And um, I kind of stopped going to doctors around 2016 when I left my agency because everyone just kept telling me like it's stress, like it's stress that is causing these issues, which was partially true, but there was an underlying condition that was making it a lot worse. So yeah. then I still had issues on the road. I had less issues on the road. Uh, I think we talked about that actually when I was in St. Petersburg the second time. My health was really, really bad. I just kept drinking because nothing made it yeah. better. Like nothing made it better. And and I, I now know why, but I eventually got referred to the functional medicine department at the Cleveland Clinic and I've been working with them and it ended up being early. And again, this goes back to the childhood thing. It ended up being early childhood exposure to mold and a certain portion of the population. I think it's like 20% cannot make antibodies to mold. So like if you and I were in, uh, you know, like a, like I say, like a building with, uh, with, you know, severe mold for like a month, you know, we both might have upper respiratory infections or like a sinus infection or something like yeah, that, right? The normal stuff. You, yeah. Your, your body would process it, get rid of it and you'd probably be fine. Me, like it just doesn't get rid of it. It goes to my liver. My liver can't process it. It gets funneled back and it's just in this cycle. And then what happens Ooh. is your body starts releasing mast cells because it's like, Hey, there's a foreign uh, pathogen in here. There's a the foreign toxin. We need to get rid of it, but it can't get rid of it. So it creates this autoimmune loop. And then the mast cells then send out histamines, which is, you know, allergic response. And then what happens is you constantly have this allergic response that just kind of compounds and it creates all these other health issues. Next thing you know, you have, you know, you start developing like food sensitivities and all these other yeah. things because your, your body starts thinking that these foods that you're eating are 
a toxin and it creates these crazy response. It's nuts, man. Dude, for how advanced we are in medicine, I, I've been lately getting this feeling of uh, there is a lot we don't know. A and ton. what I think is it's kind of like a, a learning on the fly thing when you realize like, one thing that's that's stuck out to me is like how processed our foods have become since the 80s and 90s. Like we're just now seeing the effects of that on like kids who have grown up with that kind of food their entire lives. So like it's starting to problems are starting to show up, but it's like what you wouldn't have gotten that problem, you know, in the 60s because the food wasn't being processed that way. So like those yeah. issues never really came up. So there's, there's definitely a lot. a lot of things I'm noticing. I've I've been in this these shoes, so let me know if this is something that resonates with you where you know deep down something is off, yet the professionals are telling you you're totally fine. And kind of like, I don't know why you feel this way. Um, and that's like a really, not only is that tough mentally, but it just kind of throws you in this spiral of like, why am I not normal? <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. It, it's it's very difficult to deal with sometimes. Well, I mean, let's take a, a, a normal example. So let's say like, you know, you're someone who deals with depression, which I have for most of my life. I thankfully don't deal with it too awful much these days. I think part of that was just being on, um, you know, medication for bipolar now. So my ups and my downs are significantly less extreme. Yeah. I mean, I'm always kind of a sad, a sad boy. Like I, you know, I I always feel kind of like an alien. I think that I'll always have that kind of existential loneliness. But you're not alone in that. No, no, absolutely not. But like I used to be just hardcore depressed and suicidal. Yeah. I'm not anymore, thankfully. I mean, if you but- checked out the last episode, you'll you'll hear a bit more on that story on how Josh traveled the entire country searching for that something, dude. Searching really just searching for the other side. I mean, you sold a multi million dollar company, you got you got your check, you got everything that, you know, a lot of people would have wanted and yet you still felt crushed. Yeah. It was it was there is uh, Tim Ferriss actually uh, wrote at the Four Hour Workweek. Uh, he the last chapter I believe is called like filling the void or something like that, mm. and it's so funny because in spite of how insanely influential and popular that book was, he routinely says that that's the chapter that he wishes people would reread the most. <laughs> and it's so interesting to me how like he addresses that. Like that, like once you leave, you're kind of stuck with your own thoughts and your own feelings and you have to do something about it. And, and people kind of just didn't pay attention to that. They're like, oh, okay, scale business, scale business. I want to make lots of money. But anyway, um, yeah, like let's say somebody goes to, to the doctor for depression. Most of the time they're not doing blood work. They're not asking about lifestyle. They're not asking about diet and stuff like that. They might you know, quickly touch on it. But I mean, even with specialists that I've talked to at the Cleveland Clinic and, and uh, you know, all, all of my research that I've done and all the doctors that I've talked to, it's not often. People usually go in there and say, okay, well, you know, ask them a handful of questions and then they'll try them on an SSRI. You know, they're, they're not really digging deep. Yeah. And there's, you know, you, you could just have a vitamin D deficiency. You could, you could have something kind of benign like that, that is really simple. Um, and there's also just, you know, a tremendous amount of lifestyle influences there. Um, and, and I feel like depression in, in outside of the context of like clinical depression, where it's, it's a very severe hormonal imbalance. Um, a lot of the time that depression and anxiety is a signal that like something is off. 
you know, and that's what I've come to terms with for myself. It's like when I'm really anxious. So like depression and anxiety are not the, the root problem. They're a symptom of the problem. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's something that, you know, I've had to come to terms with myself. Um, you know, your mileage may vary. I hate when people talk in absolutes, but you know, everything that I'm saying now, it tracks with, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate's research, you know, the myth of normal really recommend that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, we, we, the way that my doctor at the Cleveland clinic described it is she's like 10, 15 years from now, everything's gonna be wildly different. Everything across the board. I went to a GI specialist for a lot of these issues and I, I, I inquired about leaky gut, which is something that has historically That's, been kind yeah. of a historically been kind of in the pseudoscience, you know, area and whatever. But there's a lot of research from some of the top gut specialists in the world uh, over the last couple of years where they're seeing, okay, gut permeability, this is a thing, you know, this is actually a thing. My, my best friend's mom's a nurse and she's been championing that for quite some time. And just now it's starting to be like a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a thing. Like sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't know. I don't, sometimes you, you gotta, I don't know why it is. It takes so long for these things to persist, but I, I guess we're just like naturally resistant to change. Like it's, if you've been doing practicing something for so long, for so wildly, and then you hear this whole group saying, Hey, that's actually not correct. We, there's like a different way of looking at it. I mean, that's, that's so important to at least consider the differences, but yeah, I guess we, we're all by nature. I mean, me, myself included is resistant to change and it's the it's, same goes for the, like institutions. It's, it's considered the uh, science practice gap. So there's a gap between the latest science and the latest treatments and what is actually put into practice and mm-hmm. the way that, you know, so, so like I went to a GI specialist and I asked about it and I wasn't even saying like, I think I have leaky gut, blah, blah. I was just saying, Hey, what is your thoughts on this? I know there's a lot of conflicting opinions online. There is some latest research. This seems very promising. What is your thoughts on that? Almost verbatim. That's pretty much how I went about it. She got really weird really mm-hmm. weird. And her tone changed, everything changed. She's like, that is something, you know, like us doctors, the medical community, we don't really like uh, think that's a thing, you know, like that's not really a thing. And, and then after, and the little, you know, after notes, which most people don't even read, but I went on the, my chart and checked it. And she's like, you know, interested in alternative, you know, alternative medicine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's, that was, you know, it was very telling what, how she thought about how, what I was yeah. saying. And then I went to the doctor at the Cleveland clinic and they're like, yeah, that's a thing. We treat it all the time. Like we're state of the art medical center. We treat it all the time. That doctor doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. And I'm like, why is that? And she's just explained to me that doctor probably went to medical school like 20, 30 years ago. That's what I was going to say. It's a, I, I have a few friends going to med school and it takes a long time to become a practicing doctor. I wonder, I wonder if that's where that gap comes from. Um, again, I'm, I'm not at all close to the medical practice. So I have no idea. I can't, I can only speculate, but I wonder if it's, you go to med school, then you do your residency, you practice. And by the time you're actually a practicing doctor, been doing it for a while and you're, you're actually treating people. I imagine you're, it's been a while since you went to school and obviously doctors keep reading, keep researching and keep up with things. But like, let's say you're not a gut doctor yet. You have a patient asking you about leaky gut. Of course, you're not going to like have the most up to date knowledge. It's just not what you're keeping up with. That's not your specialty. You're not like, that's not what you're paid to do. Yeah. In, in the case of her, like the, the original, she's a, she's a GI specialist. She's a gut specialist. She should know mm. that. But in general doctor, yeah, I understand. And, and the way that I've traced it back is like, 
it's several generations. A lot of doctors and podcasts talk about this all the time, the frustration. I actually had one doctor, Dr. Pulumi Campbell on, on my my podcast and like she she talked about the it. Josh Boone show, or, check it out, listener. Hey, but uh but yeah, like it, it's it, she talked about this. It's like it, that science practice gap. So let's say like, you know, you go to, to med school and the professor there who is teaching you went to med school, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. They're very stuck in their ways. And a lot of these tenured professors typically they can be quite dogmatic and resistant to new research because it goes against what they're what they're doing. So even if the you know they may be the most resistant a lot of the times because they have you know a, a very rigid way in which they view the world because they've been doing mm-hmm. this so long. So if that even if you have the latest research, that doctor could be quite resistant to it and they don't teach you that and then you go through your residency you know, med school your residency all this other stuff and then you might not be keeping up with the latest research and so like you're now like two generations behind yeah because not only are you behind on what was you know the most up to date when you went to school but now you're an entire generation removed of that and so it's just it's it's a lot but you know i mean i've had to figure most of this out on my own um and it's odd going to doctors I, I don't want to try and be like that person that goes in there and micromanages the doctor because I have people do that to me as a consultant. It drives me fucking nuts. Yeah. But I've kind of had to go in. I try to be respectful and I try not to tell them, you know, what I want done or any of this stuff. But I do come with a lot of uh, knowledge. And a lot of the time, like, until I got to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, I go to these doctors and I would know more often about what was happening in you know, the latest studies and stuff than they would. And it was very concerning to me. Like that GI specialist, I'm sure deals with a lot of people that have similar issues that I did. And those patients are not being treated the best way possible. And it really kind of angers me. I couldn't imagine like being in a position where your treatments that your patients significantly better their lives. And you just don't care, you know, you're checked out. And, and I, I understand my sister's a nurse medical field is extremely draining and and you know and it, it can be it can be very draining and demoralizing i get it i think it's the same thing in the entrepreneurship community like you just get really worn down and people kind of just get bored i see that a lot with people that i i consult with they they just kind of lose the will to want to do it anymore you know and hmm. and so and it just everything just kind of de-escalates from there but so tying it back to a little bit of entrepreneurship, if you were to go back to the you that started the the agency in the past, not your current consultancy, but like if you were to start over, yeah, uh, what would you do differently to knowing what you know about your own mental health and self? What would you do differently? Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, I guess if I have to go back, it's one of those things where it's just like, I thought about this a couple of times before. It just was, you know, it's funny little hypotheticals, right? And it's kind of one of those <laughs> chicken of the egg. Yeah, it's kind of one of those like weird chicken of the egg situations where it's just like, okay, if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have done any of that to begin with. So it kind of like steer, I, I would end up doing something similar to what I'm doing now. Um, but if I had to, so that, that's the weird thing. It's like, I wouldn't have done it. You know, I just wouldn't have done the agency in the way that I did. I wouldn't have done it with the people that I did. 
I wouldn't have done the kind of clients, the projects that I did. Everything would have been differently. Uh, but at the same time, it's like if I had in this hypothetical, I had to do the agency and I had to do yeah. all these things. It's like, I think the first thing is I would have really thought a lot harder about my business partners. I think I would. So it was your environment that kind of also fed into, I guess, I mean, at the same time, like that's probably where those partners were probably the right partners for you at that time or like who you were and where you were at that time. Like your environment was just a reflection of that, whether you made it yourself or whether your environment kind of put you in that spot, probably both. Uh, But that was just you then and they all kind of fed into each other. Like now you do things the way you do because you have learned about yourself and your mental health and, and how to manage and balance that. Yeah. And I, and I learned a tremendous from, from the partners that I had both in my business and external partners as, as well, like other agencies Mm -hmm. we partnered with and other people. I learned a lot from a lot of them, but uh, after a certain point, I kind of absorbed what I needed. And then there were some pretty serious negative aspects that I think really, uh, derailed not only professionally but personally as well so i think yeah. you know i am i vet potential partners significantly more and i think the thing more than anything is is an alignment a a kind of moral alignment on priorities mm. um mm. and for me like the north star is like uh, is there any do i have do i have to remotely walk on eggshells with this person or do i feel like like we could just go and get beers and just open up and talk like how you and I are. And there's no friction. There's no weird, you know, weird guardedness or anything. That's a huge part of it. Another one is just like, what is their goal? If they just want to scale and make a bunch of money, like that's not my partner, people, people I want to work with, you know, is it people that want to create a lifestyle business where, they 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 know kind of what they want out of life and they, they would there's something this is something that they're passionate about doing as well and they want to unify that like the work that they're doing and the lifestyle they want to have and that that that's the perfect intersection cool that's somebody i vibe with and is it also someone who just legitimately wants to keep pushing themselves and experiment and try new and interesting things um and kind of push the needle in their industry okay that's another thing that i i want to collaborate with that person if they don't fit any of those all, if they don't hit all three of those then it's just not somebody that i want to partner with yeah so that's a huge part of it and um like i said you know i had some partnerships in my, my early 20s that really taught me a lot and i learned a lot from them and and i'm glad that i met them but uh there were other issues very kind of toxic aspects that uh either I took on or it amplified toxic aspects of myself. Um, so that would be something. I think the other thing is, is like, I, I wouldn't probably, I, I, I would do it fully remote. I wouldn't have had like a, a an office in person. Uh, I think that was yeah. really instrumental for part of our business, but I think it became kind of a liability because the, the overhead was it was kind of like dangling above us at all times and we had we had to have more cash flow in and i think that made us take on projects that we didn't necessarily want to take on just because we had to do payroll and we had to you know pay for a big office and a bunch of other stuff i think i would have kept us a lot leaner and lighter mm-hmm. and and not had so so much um yeah you know, financial burden um you know, I think I would have been a lot harder on like work-life balance. I, I, it's just so many things that I would do differently. I think I would definitely prioritize my mental health a lot more. 
I think I would take it. It sounds like a lot of these things, a lot of these things come from knowing yourself and kind of knowing the way that you operate and what's most productive for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if I told myself all these things, I don't think I would have really listened. Yeah. I think about that as well. I think about if I were to go back and go to 18 year old me and be like, dude, you really want to get the most out of these next four years? Completely do a different thing. I would have been like, no, I want to have fun. Yeah. And I think part of it also was just straight up like, um, my mental health. Like I was, I was unmedicated on certain aspects and I was over-medicated on certain aspects. Like I, mm-hmm. I got diagnosed with ADHD and then I went on Adderall, which helped a lot in one regard, but then with the bipolar, it made it worse. Hmm. So it's kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. And yeah. so that, you know, it, it made me be able to focus, but also at the cost of making my highs and my manic cycles and my low depressive cycles worse. So it's just kind of like, you know, uh, so, you know, I mean, that's where if you want to jump into the supplements. I mean, that's kind of like where this stuff comes in. Um, yeah, that'd be, that's a perfect segue. And that's another thing for anyone looking to get into podcasting. That's how you do it. You find something you're talking about and have it tied seamlessly into your next, your next topic. Yeah. So really there, there's a lot that I take. I take literally 55 pills a day. Now, Damn. About half of that, at least, if not more, is due to the autoimmune treatment with the Cleveland Clinic and a bunch of shit that I'm going through. How which many hopefully- are like natural supplements versus uh, lab made? Mm, it varies. It's kind of like, like you know, I mean, there's some like fish oil I'm staring at right now, but most of the stuff that I'm taking may derive from natural sources but it's highly processed in a good way so like you know it's they they are increasing bioavailability and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. for example i take this thing called long vita which is a type of optimized curcumin which is uh you know turmeric curcumin curcuminoids is kind of like uh you know the extract within turmeric so if you were to take cooking turmeric you're not going to get a lot of curcuminoids out of it. You know, you would have to ingest oh, a tremendous yeah. amount of turmeric to be able for it to be really significant from a health perspective. I mean, I think any is better than none, but you would have to take a lot. So if you're taking curcumin, which is like 95% curcuminoids, it's, I forget what it is, but you would have to take an enormous amount of turmeric to even get anywhere close to yeah. that. So, so that's that. And then a step further down that line is long Vita, which is optimized to actually cross the blood brain barrier. And so it it actually helps reduce inflammation specifically in the brain. And so it helps a lot with anxiety and brain fog and a lot of other things because brain inflammation is a significant driver of a lot of that. So you're now three levels deep removed from cooking turmeric that you would know you would normally get. So, um, you know, I, I, there are some things that are straight up synthetic that I've taken over the years, but you know, most of it is kind of that kind of thing. Uh, the, the two for attention that helped me the most is one is called subroxy, which is actually derived from a bark, uh, type of bark on a tree. And, 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 um, it subroxy is a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. So if you think about it, analogy I like to use is like Adderall is kind of like, imagine you got like a leaky pipe, right? And yeah. And so like what Adderall kind of does is almost like it seals the pipe up 
and then it increases the water pressure like significantly. And is that for let's say the water is attention? Yeah, attention dopamine really is what it is, is dopamine. Mm. But uh people with uh People with Adderall, and this is a gross simplification, but people with that, that have ADHD tend to have a very inefficient dopamine system. So their brain just does not I get dopamine so. to the proper areas. So it's kind of like got you a got a leaky pipe. from that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very leaky pipe. And what Adderall does, like I said, seals it up and then increases the water pressure. Now, increasing the water pressure is what can cause a lot of issues for people. It can cause some, some manic symptoms. It can cause people to be uh, overly mm. – I mean, a lot of the same symptoms to a subtler degree. People that are amphetamines, you know, Coke. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Adderall is an amphetamine. Um, but – that causes a lot of issues for me personally, not just because of the bipolar situation, but even if you remove that, it did increase my blood pressure a lot, even without caffeine. And I'm someone who has kind of naturally high blood pressure. So, and a lot of people that I know do, particularly if you're overweight, um, it, it can cause a lot of those issues. And and the last thing you want is you know heart disease and, and with that. So for some people, both from a physiological, like heart disease, high blood pressure concern, also kind of the mania uh, there's so many people that I know that are entrepreneurs that are on Adderall and they're just, it makes them too externally goal focused. Um, I recently saw a big thing, how there's an Adderall shortage going on. And there uh, were, there was like this post I saw on LinkedIn where, um, someone was mentioning, like, it was kind of a joke to all the salespeople who need Adderall to do the job. But I realized like, damn, yeah, a lot of people are heavily relied on Adderall to make them more productive. And it's people who sometimes don't necessarily have ADHD. They're just taking it to, I don't know, increase productivity. Yeah, and that, that's the problem is uh, got some water boiling if you hear it in the background. Is, yeah. but I'm, about, I'm about to start making some tea and we can get into that in a little that, bit. That's, that was going to be, yeah. yeah. Gonna be the so we're going to have a lot of, of clinking. You're going to hear, hear a lot yeah. of like roaring of the, the boiling and the tea what is, clinking. What is and the ASMR yeah, gong yeah. food tea? <laughs> yeah, it's going to it's gonna be cool here in a minute. So um, yeah, by, by the way, on time. You, you want to, uh, how long you want to do this for? It's something I learned from our past episode, listener, if you're starting a podcast, another tip. Um, yeah. Number one, get feedback at the end. But number two, Josh really helped me out. I was trying out, um, I remember very specifically on that particular day, I was trying out what would it be like to film two episodes back to back. And mm. the problem I found is Josh and I's episode was so good that I wanted to keep going, but I had a time crunch. So having meetings after a scheduled episode or anything like that, really hinders your ability to just keep going long way of saying i'm good josh i learned my lesson we can keep talking cool i'm good until two so we got a while um so yeah uh basically um yeah so so what that what essentially a lot of the issues i had with adderall was was due to that second part where it's basically um an antagonist and like significantly increasing the amount of dopamine in your system. So what's really cool about Subroxy is it is a dopamine reuptake inhibitor, meaning that it essentially helps your body. It helps your brain basically retain the dopamine and not reuptake, meaning like not losing the dopamine in your system quicker than you can use it. So it's helping you retain the dopamine that you naturally have. Again, gross simplification, but it helps kind of get the point across. So what I like about it is that it doesn't increase your blood pressure. It doesn't make you manic. doesn't do all those things. It just kind of helps you 
mm. focus and helps your body retain the dopamine that you're naturally creating. Now, let's say you're someone like myself who this is great on a daily basis. I take Sabroxy every day. One thing to note, um, and this is kind of my caveat for everything, I buy pretty much everything I possibly can through a company called Nootropics Depot. Uh, no affiliation with them, but I'm a massive fanboy of them because the supplement industry is largely unregulated and it is insane. It's, it's Aside from like not being able to put arsenic in it, like <laughs> you can kind of put whatever the fuck you want in it. Uh, proprietary blends and stuff basically makes it so that you can say that you put things in, but not even like have the amounts in it. It's sketchy. There have been so, so many studies, like, like like people doing these breakdowns where they'll do third-party testing of all these different supplement companies. And like most of them have significantly less, if any, of what they actually say they have in it. It should be illegal. It is insane. Uh, there is a lot of money in the industry from a lobbying perspective to stop that from happening. Nootropics Depot through many, many years has earned my trust. The founder is insane. If you go on the Nootropics Depot subreddit, he, the, the, uh, Mr. You are so dumb is the, the, the owner. And it is insane. Like how transparent the dude is. And like, they even did that with a, a red Rishi mushroom extract they came out with recently where they showed the the amount of you know standardized i forget what it is like rishi something or whatever i forget what it is some sort of acid that that is like this what they standardize it to and theirs is like nine percent and like everyone else is like barely like a fraction of a fraction of a percentage i mean it's ridiculous like how small the the, the it, it is so i wonder how much this- they do placebo like how much are, are these companies relying on supplements people being like all right well they think they're going to get this benefit let me just put a, a minimal lot. amount so I can sell it and save a money. lot. Unfortunately. I mean, there are, there are some straight up that like the, the to give you an example, like with the mushroom situation, um, and this kind of illustrates how fucked up the industry is even some of the biggest brands in the mushroom area. Cause you know, medicinal mushrooms are huge right now. Lion's mane, Rishi, cordyceps, turkey tail, all that stuff. Right. Um, some of the biggest brands will basically put, they will grow these mushrooms on um, just like grain and, and, and oats and stuff like that. Right. And then they will have the mycelium, which is kind of just like the root system, if you will. Yeah. It's not the actual fruiting body. It's not the actual mushroom you see. It's just what, you know, goes beneath the surface. They will take the mycelium because that only takes like 30 days, I think with reishi mushroom to grow. And then they will grind the mycelium up with the oats or the grain and then they will put that in the capsulate it and say, okay, that's, that's your, your reishi mushroom. Interesting. That's not all the st- studies are done on the fruiting body, but the bo- fruiting body takes nine months to develop. So they don't mm. want to do that. So uh, they yeah, will, and, and then they have all these bullshit studies that they pay for that are then done on the mycelium. But even if it was the mycelium, it is almost impossible to separate the mycelium from the grain or whatever substrate that you have. So you're paying a bunch of money for grain and mycelium that doesn't even have like a significant amount of the beneficial stuff in it that the fruiting body has. So like this is part of the problem is that like even if you're getting technically it is red reishi mushroom extract that you're getting, but it's bunk. So yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with that. So that's why I love Nootropics Depot. I'm a massive fanboy of them. Again, no financial affiliation, but 
it is like the only company that I actually trust. Even some like p- pure encapsulations, which was like a really respected brand. Yeah. They have now been bought out by Nestle. So I don't fucking trust them um, at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the it, guys that try to bottle up water. Yeah, exactly. So the second thing that I take, um, I do not take this every day. I actually don't even take this most days anymore. Um, but if it's a day that I really need to focus, um, it's called L tyrosine and you can find this on Tropic Depot as well. And I, L tyrosine is a dopamine precursor. So that sounds like I've been watching random thing. I've been watching a lot of, uh, spaghetti Westerns lately. That sounds like a bad guy in a, in a spaghetti (laughs) Western L tyrosine. L tyrosine. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so what's cool about that is it kind of acts like I was talking about, you know, increasing the water pressure, if you will. It, it's kind of like a gentle version of that because it is a precursor to dopamine. So it helps your body, your, you know, naturally mm. produce, have more ammunition, if you will, to, to be able to make its own dopamine. Um, so it does help, but it's not like if you're taking Adderall or yeah. Vyvanse or Ritalin, we're just pumping it through. So I love this combination. When I talk with people, I mean, because I'm so outspoken about ADHD and all this other stuff, a lot of people come to me and can say, oh, shit, yeah. I think I might have ADHD. It's like the conversation we had with uh, uh, Chris on my podcast. I think you said you listened to. Um, it, you know, like my brother different. actually recently told me that one of his friends listened to that episode and now got diagnosed with ADHD and is getting on medication and stuff. And I'm like, that's fucking cool. I mean, but it's a lot different of- in adults than it is in kids. That's something that should be noted, said, and it yeah. does present itself differently. Like you can get ADHD when you're older. That's totally plausible. Well, it just doesn't get, it just doesn't get diagnosed most of the time because there is such a thing as like high functioning ADHD, which I was, I was, I was very high functioning, but it still impaired me significantly. Like there are so many people that I know, uh, a buddy of mine, Mark, like he didn't, he didn't get diagnosed. I think he's in his like late thirties now. He didn't get diagnosed until like two years ago. Dude, I saw this joke on Reddit that was, um, what it was pretty funny it was like most of the times like adhd or something like that you get diagnosed by how much of a nuisance you are around others in class like if you are able to handle it and keep it together you're not going to get diagnosed but it is an it's not how much does it impact me and my learning it's how much are you impacting the learning of those around you yeah and it's kind of a bummer and that's part of Dr. Gabramate's whole whole thing is the myth of normal. And he says we we live in a toxic culture. And and what he means by that is like this culture is not optimized for well-being. And particularly when you're a kid, if you're you know, you're dealing with early childhood trauma, you're 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 easily distractible because you're trying to avoid your present situation, which is very toxic. Like you come from a family uh, where there's, you know, kind of an absent family member, a lot of arguing, there's domestic violence, whatever. You may develop ADHD symptoms to be easily distracted from those circumstances to kind of veer you away. And then you go to school, you're easily distracted, you're bored. And then, you know, you become a nuisance that doubles down on you feeling insecure about yourself. Yeah. That that can, that can develop into an anxiety disorder. There's all these things that are just, it's very multi-layered, but I, I am very much so a, a fan of the idea not to um not to kind of pathologize people but i am definitely a fan of doing early childhood and routine kind of mental health wellness testing for people in going you know in early childhood like going through the mm-hmm. school system because that it might actually help unearth some of these things so that they can get proper treatment 
whether that be, you know, just therapy or, or whatever else. But um, anyway, so these two things are what I recommend for people to start with. There are some people have more severe cases with ADHD and medication like Ritalin, Adderall or Vyvanse can be amazing for them. I'm not anti-medication, but I, I do think that these are more subtle and also you can just buy them freely. Yeah. And uh, the thing about Sabroxy, I'm going to talk about these two a little bit more than the other stuff because I feel like for most entrepreneurs, this is the biggest thing, and you know. Um, one one thing I do have a question. So let's say someone listening right now, they're really interested in in like the health benefits that supplements have, but they're a bit spooked out on the fact that you said a lot of these companies are kind of like smoke and mirrors. Yeah. What, uh, what would you say is the best way to research and trust the brand of supplements you're getting or to find the right supplements for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, part of it, I think, goes into, again, like a, my, my shorthand is buy from Nootropics Depot. The second is, <laughs> is one of the reasons why I like Nootropics Depot is because if you go on their website, you actually can go and look at their lab. They actually have like an interactive 3D like guided tour of their lab and then they have videos on it. They show all the lab analysis, their certifications. They show all that stuff on their website, that third-party audits, all this stuff. So you can kind of go on there and quickly be like, okay, these guys are legit, you know? Yeah. Most supplement companies don't have any of that stuff on their website. They don't show you their lab. A lot of them don't have labs. What they do is they buy this shit from China. Uh, no hate on China, but China is from a supply chain perspective in the supplement industry, extremely lax with quality control. And there are some very ethical high end, uh, you know, labs and sourcing in China. So I'm not blanket statement hating on China, but by volume, by far, most of the stuff coming out of China is very low quality. And a lot of these people are not vetting it. This actually happened recently. Um, I think it was testosterone. Uh, there's some sort of supplement that this dude on YouTube who is like kind of an influencer in the supplement industry. Uh, and, and he basically, uh, the Tropics Depot actually did a, 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 their own lab test on their stuff. and was like, this stuff's bullshit. Like hmm. it actually doesn't have most of the stuff in it. It's not good quality. And this guy got really offended. And, and because people were saying, were, were saying like he was intentionally manipulating people. Oh. What the end result was, is that this guy was basically given a bunch of bunk third party test that wasn't actually like real. The sourcing of the, the company that was sourcing all the stuff basically just made up a lab report talking about the purity. And this dude, unbeknownst to him, taking, you know, his professional contacts, taking them at face value, was say, like, okay, I'm gonna come up with a supplement. And mm. so if that if that appears to be the case, I'm trying to be charitable to this guy. That appears to be the case. That stuff happens. So again, it's hard. Like to answer your question, there is no 100% affirmative way to know because yeah. unfortunately, you can't trust the FDA because they don't regulate fucking supplements that much, if at all. Outside of like, yeah, you can't put arsenic in your your fucking stuff. You know, it can't it can't be something that can kill you, but there's not a lot of uh, oversight in the supplement industry. The other thing, yeah, again, I, I think I would just look for reviews on Amazon are largely bought. You know, there's a bunch of brands that both Nootropics Depot and other people like some of this, the new, our Nootropics, our supplements, the people have actually crowdsourced like 
uh, paying for third party testing yeah. on these supplements. And a lot of these like big brands that you see on there that have lots of reviews or like actually like don't have nearly as much as they say they have in it. Some of them have none, but usually the more popular brands have it, you know, they just might not have as much and it might not be the same quality that they say. Um, Interesting. In general, Jaro is pretty good. Um, I like sports research. Uh, I, I like um, life extensions. Um, uh, with Thorn is another good one. I used to like pure encapsulations, but since they, you know, they got bought out by Nestle, I don't, I don't really, I don't really trust their decision making anymore. Um, Nordic Naturals is pretty good for fish oil. Uh, but I, like I said, my default pretty much across the board is Nootropics Depot because they're really the only one I fucking trust. So, but there's just certain shit that they don't have, you know. So, I typically try to go with those brands. Um, there are some I forget what the company is called, but I get like my uh, chlorella from this one uh, company that's like a German company where they like actually grow it in like glass tubes instead of like in a pond mm. because the thing with chlorella is it's an algae that absorbs like it's it helps you absorb a bunch of toxins and shit the problem is is if you put it and you grow it in a giant pond it absorbs the fucking toxins yeah so oh, you see, th- yeah so like that's a problem is that you're buying this stuff and it's so good at being a binder for toxins that it again absorbs anything any and impurities. Then you're the toxins in yeah so they actually grow this shit in clear like huge long bendy glass tubes with like distilled water or RO water and stuff like that. And it's like about as pure as you could possibly get. So there are some brands that are like very niche that I mm. generally trust, yeah. but that's like on a product by product basis. Um, Would you start or work with a supplement company? Maybe potentially working with one soon. Nice. Um, but but the, the, from an ethical standpoint, the problem that I have is I just don't trust most of them. So like I'd have to actually really get to know them and and feel like they their hearts in the right place. Yeah. You know, if if pure encapsulation is like, hey, we want to work with you, I'm just probably gonna be like, no, because you know I'd have to really get to know. Like I I, I yeah I, I I haven't worked with one yet, partly out of uh just not liking most of it, you know. And I would feel weird even like I would a dream client of mine would be working with Nootropics Depot, but also it's just like, I kind of don't want to taint that because yeah. I want people to like actually take me at face value. Like how much of a fucking, like I, I really do the support. Yeah. I brand. get what you mean. Yeah. So, okay. So that is L tyrosine and Sabroxy. And I'll send you a list of all these things we talk about. And uh, so you can put it in your show notes for any of your fans that are listening. Uh, Long Vita, like I said, the curcumin, I take that on a daily basis because for me, I deal with a lot of brain fog and inflammation, with, yeah. particularly from stress. Um, so that's, do you that's have crucial. any dieting, like any diet restrictions or diets oh, that yeah. you follow? Yeah, I, I, feel, I have to. Yeah. I was keto for a couple of years and that really helped. Uh, and I now know why, because with the autoimmune condition, uh, it's histamines. So there is food Ooh, yeah. that is high in histamines that like, for so example, have spinach. Wine. Wine no, I can't have anything for a minute anymore. And that's crazy. Yeah. Thinking about how much fucking beer and alcohol I used to drink. Uh, oh, that was probably making it so much worse. Way worse. Yeah. The wow. problem is, is that I was otherwise all the stuff that I was also eating made it worse. So it was hard for me to isolate it. And even when I told you like I was doing non-alcoholic, 
Like I was having like O'Doul's and stuff like that, like non-alcoholic beer. And I was like, okay, what's not the alcohol? No, it was the fucking <laughs> fermented yeast that I was fucking like drinking. So it's like- That's irony it's, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like for me, it's histamines. There's a lot of things like avocado, really high in histamines. Things that a lot mm-hmm. of people think like like uh, uh, kombucha, uh, uh, fucking kefir, um, sauerkraut, kimchi, all things that are, you know, is known for being really good for your micro gut biome, right? Problem is super fucking fermented, really high in histamines, uh, spinach, avocado, beans. Like for a while I was eating really, really clean. So like I'd have like a lot of like basically kind of like Chipotle style bowls with just you mm-hmm. know rice, vegetables, beans, you know, meat, whatever. And it, I was eating really, really clean. The problem is most of the stuff I was eating, even though it was really clean, super high in histamines. So for me personally, that was a problem. And there's kind of a thing called like the histamine bucket where most people never go over that threshold um, because they don't, they don't have an accumulation of, of histamines. But let's say, for example, you're someone who has a lot of allergies. Well, your body's pumping a lot. You know, that's why people take antihistamines, you know, like Claritin and stuff like that. They take that to help reduce the amount of histamines from an allergic response. Yeah. Well, if you are, um, if you if basically if you are now eating this stuff, like let's say you already your baseline you have an allergy and your baseline the histamines is really really high, well then you're eating all this food that's high in histamines. It's kind of like putting you over the threshold, and yeah. you start having a lot of really bad symptoms. Most people don't get to that point, but for me because I, my baseline was so high, I have now I'm on a bunch of immunosuppressants. And a lot of things like low dose nostroxone, I'm on like ketotifen and a lot of things that help either reduce inflammation and also reduce histamine production. So I have some leeway. As long as I'm pretty good, I can generally go like three, four days kind of eating a normal diet. If I get stressed or I really start going off my diet hardcore, that engine kind of starts to rev back up. And then once I go over the threshold, it takes me like two weeks to get back to baseline. So I really have to watch myself. Like when I went to Vietnam, uh, I kind of just decided I was, I, I was kind of just decided like, I'm just going to eat whatever the fuck I want. And like, I'm going to feel like shit when I get back, but I don't care because I want to, I want to eat whatever I want. Yeah. But I went and did that with intention and man, I came back, I paid for it so bad. Like I just felt like shit. I could like barely do anything, uh, for two weeks. It sucked. But so yeah, uh, I have a pretty limited diet, but it's not nearly as limited as it was like a year or so ago. So my treatment with the Cleveland Clinic's helped a lot. That's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How about other your, stuff uh, I take? Oh, go on. I was just say I, I was getting getting curious about your tea diet. We've been teasing this for a while, for two episodes now. Yeah. <laughs> so I got uh, this for people that are watching on the video. Uh, I've got my whole kind of like setup here. So what this is, is you've got a tea table and for people that are just listening to audio, it's basically like a table that has kind of like a top with a bunch of slats in it. So you can pour as you're pouring uh, the tea and everything, uh, water will go through those slats and into the kind of um, like container below it. So it's really? kind of like just, yeah, it's really cool. And the reason why is because you've got this thing called a gaiwan, which has got your little saucer and it's got a little cup with a lid and you take that and you basically pour it into this little pitcher with a strainer and it's a very small amount of very, very small amount of, uh, 
tea at a time. And this is called Gung Fu style making tea. And really this cup that I have, which is the, the cup that you drink out of, really is enough for like one big kind of gulp or like maybe two sips or something like that. Yeah. It's a small amount. And the reason why is because you are – and this is one of the reasons why I love it as a practice, almost as like a meditation practice is that it helps you slow the fuck down. Um, there is, there's this guy named Daniel. Uh, he's, he's a Chinese man and, and he has a place called the tea shop in uh, Vancouver, uh, BC in, in, in uh, Canada. Highly recommend if you go to Vancouver, check out the tea shop. Even if you don't care about tea, it's a pretty cool place and he's super knowledgeable. And when I was there, he was talking about his like most people drink tea. It's like McDonald's. Like you go there, you get, you know, kind of bad tea leaf. You usually use too hot a water. It's bitter. It doesn't taste very good. And then you have it in a giant cup. You're just sitting there. You're just kind of mindlessly drinking it. Like it's like a beverage. He's like, that's like the McDonald's. Me, this entire he- episode, <laughs> taking my gulps of tea. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, green tea. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. It's like he's not hating on on it, but he's just like that's kind of what it is. And he's like, well, basically, what what this is is you're putting in this little gaiwan, which is like a little, like I said, like a little cup with a little bit on it. You are filling it up about halfway with tea leaf, hmm. and then you're pouring small amounts of water. For, the first thing you do is you you put the tea leaf. You the first thing that I do is I I do a rinse, which I have hot water. And then I kind of put some in the guy wand and then I pour it into the pitcher and then I pour it into the cup. And what that does is get rid of any dust, but also what it's doing is warming the vessels. Because uh, if you just put water in it, you lose heat immediately because that heat transfers into the containers, right? To warm those up. So you lose heat. So you want to like heat it up first so that it's it doesn't lose any heat when you pour it in for the actual thing. The second thing that I do is I put the tea leaves in there and then I will do a kind of a, a, a rinse where I'll just kind of, you know, hmm. top, top it up and I'll let it sit for like maybe one or two seconds and then I'll just rinse it. And, and that gets again, cause the tea is aged and, uh, you know, you might be dust or fragments or whatever. We just want to get rid of all that shit. So you're not drinking it. And, uh, then after that, it's really depends on the tea, but then you will pour water in it and you will let it sit from either anywhere from a minute, I'm uh, sorry, a, a second or two, depending on like what kind of tea it is up to like 10, five, 10 seconds. And then you will pour it into the, you know, through the strainer, uh, people watching, you got like the little pitcher and you got the little strainer and you pour it through the strainer, goes into the little pitcher. And again, the, the pitcher is about enough for maybe two cup fills, you know, small little, little yeah. cup fills. And, and the, the, the kind of philosophy of this is that, you are making small little batches of tea. And what happens is that if you're using the higher quality, like loose leaf tea, um, you can get anywhere from, if we, if we consider uh, one of these kind of batches that I just said, like an infusion or in a steeping, you can get anywhere from like three to 30 steepings out of these. teas. Yeah. If you get like a puer, uh, which is what I have right here and what I'm drinking. And this is, uh, they kind of call it like a tea cake. It's like a giant, it's, it's like a, a giant kind of block of tea that's highly yeah. compressed. This is super, super compressed. And if I were to actually like uncompress this, it would be a massive amount of tea, um, tea leaf, but it's super compressed. And what you do is you take off a little bit of this at a time and you, you kind of naturally age this tea. So, I, oh, have cool. puer, I, I have Puer tea from the 1970s that I got from Daniel in Vancouver. Um, Daniel's kind of one of those guys where like I, I trust him. There's a lot of fake tea 
just like there's a lot of fake supplements in the tea industry. Again, China supply chain, a lot of things. Pu'er is one of those things that uh, this is a big issue with wine as well. Wine really kind of exploded in the late 80s and 90s. And basically, there because of that, there was like this explosion of interest in old aged wines, but there wasn't enough supply for the demand. So people started faking it. Same thing with Pu'er tea. Um, a lot of this tea is aged and because the demand like exploded in the early 2000s, uh, there's a lot of fake aged Pu'er. But uh, I generally trust Daniel in sourcing. But I've got you know tea from the 70s, the 80s, early 90s, and it's really interesting to see how it changes. And even some of the Pu'er that I bought like five, ten years ago, I will kind of have it a couple times a year, and and I'll just kind of see how it changes. And some of these I hope to have for another decade or so, you know, and just kind of cycle yeah, them in and cycle them out. Try really this because cool. I'm a I'm a big tea fan. Um, that's what I prefer over coffee, and. Yeah. That is fast. I saw that for for the listener that that isn't on video. the The compressed cake is like a uh, like a, a small to medium sized plate, but kind of dense looking yeah. just block of of tea. And it, yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, on the video right now, I'm kind of showing like you you can see the side that it's like you know normal how you get it. Yeah. But then I've been chipping. I can off. see where you're yeah, yeah where you're chipping like off it. little pieces. Yeah, and so it's really cool. So anyway, why this is so cool is for two reasons. One, the end result, and two, the process. So the end result is is if you're just drinking like Lipton tea, you know. Again, I'm not trying to hate on whatever. I I hate people that uh. I hate. I am annoyed by people that are like gatekeepers and shit like that. Like I occasionally, like I've got. Uh, sometimes I'll use like a little coffee maker and just throw like a little tea bag of fucking like peppermint tea in there and just like you know do whatever. Like I am not a you know crazy you know uh, snob about it. However, you know if you're drinking tea this way, you have to have a pretty decent quality tea leaf because otherwise, like it loses flavor really fast, right? Uh, it doesn't mean it has to be expensive. That's actually yeah. something a lot of people don't get is that when you're getting a tea like this and you consider how many times you're re-steeping it and you don't have to use new tea bags or new tea, it actually is pretty fucking cheap for the quality of what you're getting. I would like to take a second to talk about Josh's podcast, The Josh Boone Show. The Josh Boone Show is raw, long-form conversation, a lot like the one you're listening to right now. And it's with some of the world's most unique and undiscovered thinkers. They talk about all sorts of things. Society, psychology, purpose. Very similar to the stuff that we actually talk about on the show today. So he has on a pretty awesome wide group of people. There's doctors, psychologists, entrepreneurs, even monks. If you guys are interested, if you like my podcast, if you like hearing Josh Boone, if you like both, you should definitely check out the show. Very similar to the type of stuff you're hearing right now today, uh, and I highly recommend it. It's a very good listen. Yeah, man. So, like, the cool thing about this is kind of two. One, like, you're having multiple steepings, and every single time, the flavor changes. Everything kind of changes. And what happens is that, like I said, with this one, it's a Shing Pu'er, meaning it's it's kind of a greenish aged tea. It's fairly light. It's a little spicy almost. Has kind of a uh, earthy kind of flavor. That's one of the things I like about Pu'er teas is they're really kind of complex. 
Yeah. Um, so there's a lot there. Like I've done this. I love introducing people to this way of tea that have never had tea like this before, because I've had friends that don't even give a shit about tea. They're coffee people or they just don't care about tea. And I'll show them this process and they'll taste it and they'll be like, Oh shit. Like after the third or fourth steeping, they're like, wow, okay. I actually do taste the difference. That's interesting. And they start to get intrigued by it. Um, it is, it's just a really interesting process. Um, so, so yeah, like with this one, I might steep it for like, for me personally, I might steep it like three seconds cause I want it to be kind of light and, uh, I want to get kind of the characteristics, but then, you know, the next one I might do like six, seven seconds. The next one I yeah. might do like 15 seconds. And then you start to, you know, increase the time Oh, where I might by the end, like I'm at like steeping 25 or whatever. Like I might let it sit for like two, three minutes and just, you know, whatever, because how it works is tannins. So like, there's certain tannins like that's what actually makes tea dark same thing with coffee you know it's it's tannins leach part of the thing that like why people say they don't like green tea for example is most of the time and again i'm not trying to be a fucking snob about it but they're not making it properly and the reason why is because and this i actually blame some of the the fucking tea companies because on the box it actually says use boiling water it's steep for three minutes that's terrible for most green teas particularly green teas in a tea bag because what the the tea bag tea is generally is like the dust that settles like it gets shifted like from the higher quality leaf and that's not like a, a you know jerk off equality thing the smaller the 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 leaf meaning it, the more surface area there is so if you have a full leaf like a literal full leaf and you steep it it doesn't have as much surface area that is open for, for tannins to get out. So it's more of a slow release. If you've got dust basically where it's like got a billion openings to it, uh, tannins can leach out very fast. And what happens is if you're using boiling water and then you're steeping it for two, three minutes, too many tannins are coming out too quickly. And that's where you get that kind of bitter, you know, grassy, bitter taste that people don't like. So if you use like, you know, let's say you boil water and you let it sit for like two minutes and then you steep it for like a minute, try that. If you have like green tea or something, try it. Black tea, you do want to do boiling. Uh, you do want to have it like about 212, but green tea is usually like 180. Uh, so, you know, you let it sit for two minutes and the flavor is very different. And so that that's kind of a cool way. But so, so the flavor changes, but Really, at the end of the day, why I like it the most is because it's kind of just like a meditative process. I will sit here, I have my my kettle, I will pour it into the little guy one pitcher, or sorry, the little guy one, and then I will pour that into the pitcher, and then that has like you know, it's 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 done. I can pour it into my cup as much you know as quickly as slowly as I want. I will sit there, and if you're on video, I've got this little cup, and I take a sip. And again, there's probably like two or three sips in this little cup. And that causes me to pause. And then I'll kind of go back to my work at my desk. And then I'll take another sip and then my cup's empty. So then I will pause what I'm doing. I'll go over and I'll, you know, pour, pour the pitcher, you know, pour the water in into the cup and I'm taking a second and I'm, you know, now taking a sip and it's these little tiny micro breaks that kind of just, they, they kind of just slow yeah. you down 
And it's, it's very kind of meditative. Whereas like, you know, you're kind of mindlessly sitting there just chugging like an energy drink or something <laughs> like that. It's not causing you to slow down. And again, like not hating on any other way of, of doing things. It's just for me, I find this very relaxing and it causes me to kind of slow down and be a lot more present. So I really like it. There's a tremendous of different types of tea. Like I have yet to not be able to find a tea that somebody likes, you know, there's just so many different types of tea and, and different characteristics. There's, there's even smoky tea, laps, laps, uh, lapsang sishong, which is a black tea that they actually historically put over uh, big um, pine wood baskets or sorry, the big like wicker baskets. And they will actually put it in there and roast it over pine wood fires. And it kind of has this like, it basically makes your room smell and taste like a campfire, which I know some <laughs> people cool. some people are horrified by that thought. Other people really like it. I like it. Um, a couple of my friends really like it. It's very nostalgic. Some people hate it. Um, but you know, there's just all these kind of weird teas that you can try that are really interesting. If you're wanting to get a good entry point, is a company called Adagio. It's just Adagio.com. And I was going to say, where do you find the starting kit? Yeah, they're they're really. I like Adagio because it's good quality. It's it's, but it's really user friendly, and they have a lot of flavored teas. They have a lot of starter sets. It's, um, they've got some really cool tea makers that you can use, which is kind of like um, a giant clear, uh, a giant clear one that you put the tea in and you pour it in, and then actually you actually once it's done steeping, you actually put it on top of your cup and it like pours down. There's some really cool things they have. It's a very, uh, you know, newbie friendly kind of brand. Like you could keep buying their tea for forever and it's not bad quality. It's really good. But if you want to go even nerdier, there's like some, some more, you know, but I like Adagio as far as a good entry point. Uh, they're great. Uh, the next kind of level, uh, there's a company called T-Vive, like T-E-A-V-I-V-R-E, something like that. I, I like them. Um, Yunnan Sourcing is another one I really, really like. Um, Verdant tea is probably the one I would recommend most to people. I really like Verdant tea. Actually, that's what I'm drinking right now. That the, the, um, the tea cake was the Pu'er was from them. This is kind of like what some of their packaging looks like. If you're on video, the reason I really like Verdant tea, V E R D A N T is because they, uh, are based out of Minneapolis, I believe, but all they have these relationships with small farmers, uh, so it's like all like a co-op, uh, yeah. farmers that have been like, you know, five, six generations tea makers, you know, and like, they don't use any pesticides, you know, it's all natural, small batch stuff. Um, for the quality you get, it's pretty affordable, but I like the tea industry has like, as the coffee industry does too, has a lot of really bad like you know labor issues people getting you know either screwed monetarily or really bad working conditions i really like supporting verdanti and some of these other uh companies that work with small independent farmers uh it's just a lot more ethical and also i don't have to worry as much about drinking fucking pesticide water and shit like that um so you know with coffee at least you know you've got the outer fruit kind of around the coffee bean and they take that off uh tea if they're spraying with pesticides you drink in the fucking shit you know, so that's a, that's a concern of mine. Um, so I really like ones like that. Um, there's also, um, uh, white, uh, uh, two dog. It's called white two T like white number two T and this guy runs it called two dog. And it's, 
it's awesome. He, he, all of his, like the rappers for all of his stuff is like fucking hip hop references and memes and stuff. So he's kind of like Yeah. 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 I, I love him. Really good quality tea, but like, it's, he's just like a millennial dude that just like has fun, you know, with it. Like, yeah, he lives, he lives I think in Yunnan, like in the mountains and stuff. It's his, his Snapchats are crazy. Like it's just him, like on his little bike going up to one of the tea farms. And he's just blasting, like run the jewels or biggie or something like it's awesome. So, uh, you know, a lot of really great tea suppliers and, um, I don't know. I, I love it. I I find myself drinking a lot of like just black coffee these days, which is interesting because there's a coffee shop that I, I go to. But if I'm home, most of the time I'm, I'm making tea, and it's just it's just really chill. So, did you get me hooked? Questions you got? Uh, yeah, what's your favorite flavor? Oh man, it varies a lot. I really like <sighs> green teas. I'm not like as partial to these days. Um, I like some oolongs and even within oolongs, there's a wide spectrum. So you have like green oolongs, um, which can be kind of grassy or even like kind of thick and buttery almost. It's really interesting. Then you've got like darker oolongs that are darker roasted, kind of like a coffee, have a real different roasting. And then you've got like black oolongs, which are like uh, up in the Wuyi mountains. And what's really cool about those is that the Wuyi mountains is very high in mineral content. Like it's up in the rock, like rocky mountainous area. So it has this kind of like dark earthy mineral flavor just from the composition of the soil. And then they like roast it over a fire. So it's like got this like kind of charcoaly in a good way, like like dark, minerally, kind of like apricotty kind of flavor a lot of the time. Really interesting. Um, there's some black teas I really like. Like there's some black teas that are like naturally almost chocolatey, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's really I've never experienced that, but damn. Yeah, I, I can I can send you some some links to some of that stuff. Um, like, there's actually some black teas. The way they're processed, they're actually yellow. Like the leaf tips are actually like bright yellow, and they're kind of multi. It's really interesting. My favorite. I got to get my days. tea game up. That's the biggest thing I'm picking up from here. I Dude. knew the I I use a kettle for my green tea, and it's definitely like I keep it to 180, 190. Yeah. So I I knew that trick, but everything else, man. I'm so yeah. curious. The pu'er is my favorite. It's the aged tea, and there's kind of two different types of pu'er. There is shu and there is sheng. Uh, shu means aged or dark. Sheng, which is what I'm drinking. You, you probably saw the leaves were kind of like dark greenish. Yeah. Uh, whereas shu is like dark brown or black. Um, so again, sheng means young or green or light, you know, fresh. And what's interesting about that is like they basically take the leaves, they compress them into that, and then it just they just kind of they might process it minimally, but the, minimally, but then they just kind of let it age as is. The shoe they usually are artificially they put in like these wet rooms and like artificially kind of age them, and they're darker and they're uh, it's more it's more like a black tea. But the thing I like about both of them is there's just so much more variety. Because of the aging process, it takes on a lot of characteristics of whatever atmosphere it's in. Mm. So if you and I bought the same, like, you know, raw Shing uh, Pu'er tea, like, and let's say it was from, uh, you know, it was from this year, you know, it got picked and processed this year. Yeah. You and I had it 
um, you know, you're in one area of the country that's got, you know, higher moisture or, you know, whatever different temperature. And I'm in a colder area that's not as moist and whatever. After five years, they're actually going to taste differently. That you know, is, they'll be in the same general ballpark. But yeah. They'll actually taste differently just from the moisture, temperature, and all these other environmental factors. It's really cool, you know? It's almost like... I don't even have I'm, the word that comes to mind is like collectors item or yeah. like I, I can't I can't think of the word for what it would be like in unlike wine tasting collector something like that. But the fact that over the time that you hold this tea and like have it, it will adapt to your environment and change taste. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's that's one of the things I love about it. And the thing is, is like there's no there's so you be trading with friends like oh you got that denver from 07 i got some san diego (laughs) 03 if you want to try it out no no for real yeah i I have done tea swaps before um i will i have routinely like sent people little care packages and stuff or if i have friends from out of town come like i'll kind of make them a little care package of different types of teas and stuff like that um there was they they still do them i'm sure online like tea swaps and stuff like that like on uh, rt and and yeah. uh, some of these other like communities on Reddit, like we'll people will do T swaps and they'll just like, you know, send each other stuff. Generally they'll be like, Hey, you know, some people have, you know, relatively limited times of tea. Some people have fucking giant collections, like the like, huge. And, and they'll be like, what kind of tea do you like? And they'll kind of put together a little care package. Um, I had somebody who do that for me once. They sent me some really weird, obscure shit. And then they actually made their own teaware. They did pottery and I got this really cool cup. This guy made is really interesting. Um, so I met some really cool people on the the tea community. I'm not nearly into all that as I used to be. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty casual with these days. Huh. Like I'll just kind of buy some tea and I'll drink it, and I'm not really that involved in the community or any of that stuff anymore. But I plan on opening a tea lounge here locally, probably in the next like five years. So I'll probably get more back into the community and all that stuff when I do it, because there's just no. In the United States, I would say there's literally only a handful of like legit tea lounges. Like there's tea shops, but an actual tea lounge. The Dobra Tea, they're actually a small like quasi chain, uh, more like a franchise where it varies even between them. But there's like two in Asheville, North Carolina. There's one in Pittsburgh. I think there's like one in Maine, one in Boston or something. There's only a handful of them. But they really do it right. I actually, um, I've spent a lot of time in the one in Asheville. And then I was just in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago for about a week. And I went there several times. And it's just a cool spot. You just sit there. Would you open one of their franchises or would you do your own? I've considered it. But I think me just being as independent as I am, I would want to, I'd want to just do everything on my own. Yeah. Like, so I have considered they do do consulting. I've considered maybe hiring them from a consulting and just be like best practices and whatever. I don't know. I'll, I'll see. I've, it's not something that's on my radar for at least a couple more years. They just got too much stuff going on. But somewhere in the next like five, ten, probably closer to five than ten. I, I want to open a tea lounge, uh, do it proper here. I, I know so many people that own restaurants and bars and stuff around here. It won't be hard to kind of piece it all together but it's just i need to be in a place where i feel like i have the time and the bandwidth and also like with my health like i need hopefully with a cleveland clinic you know in the next couple of years i i might have to be on treatment for another year or two we'll see so hmm. until then i'm really trying to limit what i take on <laughs> yeah 
probably wise. So, yeah. But anything else uh, you want to dive into, man? Nah, dude. I just want time for the the closing questions. I've already asked you this pit, but I'm I have a feeling some of them have changed. Um, yeah, go for just because, just because, yeah. Uh, but first of all, I did want to say thank you very much for coming on again, dude. The the audio problems are a bit unfortunate, but we made it work, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's all good. Um, yeah. What kind of music or podcasts have you been listening to lately? Um, it's a good question. I mean, music really these days. I'm listening to uh, a lot. I'm just gonna get my Spotify open and kind of see, but. I listen to a lot of like Boards of Canada, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross soundtracks. I listen to a lot of those like, like Akira Yamamoka's like Silent Hill soundtracks. I listen to a lot of like kind of soundtracks as like background music. Mm. Um, I don't listen to a hell of a lot of music with lyrics these days, which is really interesting. Um, you know, if I do listen to stuff, like I've got, uh, just kind of going here through my stuff. I really, really like, um, go ahead. One soundtrack and it's going to tie into the next question of what movies or shows have you watched recently? This is the one that I I've been wanting to ask you is I know you expressed being a Batman fan in the past. Did you see the newest Batman? And what did you think, dude? Sometimes I listened to that soundtrack. That was another side note that I was going to say for the soundtrack thing. Really good. Uh, Yeah, really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah something in the way <laughs> that was that was just like something in the way yeah like that was like in my fucking like the back of my head for like three weeks after and i thought it was just me and then all my friends are like yeah no same fucking nirvana like just like, <laughs> but um yeah I, I absolutely love the new batman it's it's to me it uh Darren aronofsky was actually supposed to do like a batman year one before christopher nolan did Batman Begins. Mm. I always wanted to see what that was going to be like because it sounded so much darker, bleaker, like Selena Kyle Catwoman was going to be like a prostitute, like a dominatrix. And it was supposed to be like really dark. And, and uh, I, I always wanted to see what that kind of much more abrasive and existentially bleak Batman would look like. And I, this is like I've always kind of wanted to say. Like I, I've always seen like Bruce Wayne as a very broken person. I that was one of the things that I didn't necessarily like about the Christian Bale Batman's. Is like I appreciate them and I really do like them. Uh, y- you know, if they're not extremely um, uneven, like it is, it is cohesively jarring. Like it is extremely tonally jarring. I should say the difference between Batman Begins the dark Knight and rises like they, they mm. look like they feel like they were done by completely different filmmakers. I mean, the Batman begins is much darker, bleaker comic booky. Uh, and then Batman, uh, the dark Knight is just like this kind of, I don't even know. Like it's, it, it feels much more grounded in reality. Like it's, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it, it's just Chicago. Like it doesn't feel like, Gotham, you know, like it, it's it's just odd. So this new movie I really liked because to me it seemed like they kind of took the 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 Arkham City games and the Batman animated series and a lot of the kind of comic books like him being a detective and they they really just made it. Uh, they 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 kind of just perfectly they perfectly kind of took the the animated the benefits of the animated series but translated it into film. Yeah, you know, 
and it, and it, and it worked like it was both simultaneously kind of more cartoony and comic-y than the Nolan films, but also like grittier and somehow seemed more realistic in a way is very interesting. I don't know. I, I, I really appreciated it. It felt a lot more like a, like a detective or like mystery yeah. movie than anything else, which is something I really liked. And I think, um, I really like this fun fact, how the, the screenwriters just listened to like Nirvana on repeat while they were like writing the movie and the music so that they could get a feeling for the tone they were going for. It was like that yeah. era of grunge rock. They would just have it in the writing room. Uh, that was really cool. But yeah, dude, I was, I was a big fan. Yeah. And that's what, um, uh, what's his name? Oh God. Writer of fight club. Uh, not Palinac. I forget his name. This is going to bother me now. The Fight Club writer, he's just listening to the Downward Spiral uh, by Nine Inch Nails, like, nonstop. Yeah, Chuck Palinac, yeah. Like, Chuck Palinac, when he was doing Fight Club, he was writing the novel Fight Club. Like, he just listened to the Downward Spiral and Nine Inch Nails, like, on repeat. And, like, so it's just, I love when people have that. They kind of take that that tonal yeah. soundscape and, and apply it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, I, I you know, the, the, as far as like music, I've been listening to a lot of Mark Lanigan. He died recently and that really bummed me the fuck out. But, you know, so I've been, I've been listening to, to, uh, a lot of stuff as far as film and all that. I recently got, I, I watched like the first season of better call Saul and then just completely dropped off. Not because I didn't like it, but I just, I don't know. I just, stuff happened. I just got out of, out of the habit of watching it. And then I recently kind of, um, I had another one of those flare ups with the autoimmune condition. I just really couldn't work much. Yeah. I can only really do the bare minimum. So, you know, everything in me was just like work, work, work. But, you know, like my partners being like, no, dude, you need to like take time off and relax. And like my friends are being like, yeah, just fucking relax. So like as kind of therapy, I just like binged watch during the evenings for like a week or two, just like better call saw, just watch the whole, the rest of the, like the five, four seasons or whatever. And, I don't do shit like that. Hmm. Like I don't just like watch shows. I don't like, I don't, I don't just sit down and doing that stuff. I don't watch a lot of movies these days, um, but I've been trying to get better. I've been trying to take more time off and just kind of relax. So I watched all that. I don't know if I like it more in breaking bad. I've heard a lot of people say that they liked it more. I think there's parts of it that I like, but it's also been a long time since I watched Breaking Bad, so I would have to see. But there's something about the last handful of episodes of Breaking Bad that are so existentially bleak that just call me that I love. Like Ozzy Mendeus in the very last episode where Walt is essentially like the spoilers, I guess. But I mean, come on, it's been out for forever at this point. Um, but you know, he's just like the walking dead. Like he's just, he's not even alive anymore. He's just, yeah. and I just love that. Like there's just something so bleak about it. And I think that's like the reoccurring theme for me. Like the bleaker something is, the more I like it. Uh, a movie recommendation that I've made before on my, on my show, but I, I, I highly recommend is, Aniara, A N A R A I A, something like that, and it's a Swedish film. And if you've watched the film, don't look up. Uh, it's <laughs> kind of a good like counterpart to that. Yeah. And um, what I like about Don't Look Up is it's basically like, hey, you know, if we're all gonna you know die and like you know world world ending thing, what happens? 
NER is kind of just like, what happens if like humanity could somehow survive? Like the planet was going to die, but like we had, we were going to like get people to Mars and stuff. Like, what would that be like? What would the actual reality be? And it's just, it's bleak. It has actually completely changed my perspective on, uh, I guess like our species surviving outside of the context of being on the planet. It's really interesting. So yeah, if you like dark and bleak stuff, um, Annie is definitely like on my, on my top recently that I've watched. Dude, one thing I really like, um, to, to bring it back to the breaking bad thing is I grew up watching Malcolm in the middle and to see yeah. the goofy dad be Brian Cranston go into the, um, the Heisenberg role was fantastic, dude. You just see like his ability to act shine in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, he's, he's an amazing actor. I I, I was kind of hoping he would do more stuff. Like, seems like since same thing with uh, Aaron Paul, like they've been in things before, but they, he hasn't been in anything that I've been aware of. That's really pushed his range. Um, I was kind of hoping both of them would do more, I don't know, something of the caliber of that. And maybe they have, and I'm just not aware of it, but, but I haven't seen anything. Yeah. That's a good point. What about any books? What kind of books are you reading? Uh, the myth of normal, like I was talking myth of normal, about the, dude, I'm going to yeah. check that out. Definitely. That sounds very fascinating. Yeah. I've been, um, geez, let me get my audible up. It's one of those things where like you, you put me on the spot and I'm just like, ah, um, but yeah, the myth of normal is definitely up there. Um, I've been the one that I've been kind of revisiting lately is, uh, the body keeps the score, which is That's also a good one. online. Yeah. It's kind of aligned with that. Um, I think most of my, uh, I got, what is the other one? Uh, Tara Brock uh, already free is another one that I, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been kind of getting into again. I, I think overall, like my, I've really been kind of trying to, to lean heavily into being kind of at peace with just day-to-day life not so much like optimizing like efficiency and more so just being okay with like what is and i've been spending a lot of time the last year in particular kind of unpacking a lot of my own neurotic tendencies and how i can just be more kinder to myself and more at peace and and be okay with less and even like the projects that I'm taking on, like being like not needing to like scale everything and, and taking on these grandiose things, just being more okay with just uh, content in general. And, and I think that's like unsexy, you know, it's not, it's not like the thing that um, the thing that most people like optimize for. Dude, that's that. It resonates with me so much in this point in time. Just because I, I've very, very recently had this revelation of like, I've been trying so hard to the point where it's been it, honestly kind of hurting me to be super productive, over-optimize everything, make every, like make sure everything I do is the best. Like anything I do has to be, and we kind of talked about this on the last episode, but like it, the, the problem still happens. And then the the revelation I kind of experienced was everything I'm doing is pretty great. I'm having a great time. Things are going very well for me. The thing that I'm not okay with, and it's something I simply can't change, is that I want everything to happen to me tomorrow. 
and it takes patience. <laughs> it takes time. So yeah. enjoying the ride is, is enjoying each day because that's all we really get is, is the, the little moments we have throughout our day. So I totally agree, dude. It's, it's letting go of, I have to be outputting 100% every single day. It's letting go of that. And a lot of what I've realized is, dude, especially having this podcast, doing it on habits and hobbies and trying to see like what makes people productive. The thing that keeps showing up time and time again is not trying so hard to be productive. That's it. (laughs) Sam Harris has a line. uh, If, if you, if anyone's interested in getting into meditation, um, really, I highly recommend Sam Harris's app called waking up. And if you've tried meditation before and you're like, this is some woo woo bullshit, it doesn't apply to me, blah, 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 or it's, you know, this new age, whatever. I, I highly, highly recommend just trying the waking up app. I think it's free for the first like 10 days or something like that. Um, because meditation has helped me significantly. Um, and it's helped ground me and it's made me a better entrepreneur and it's made me a better person and it's made me a lot more centered. But he has this uh, he's he has this line where he's like, "What is the cash value of living a better life every single day for the next for the rest of your life? Like if you could put a cash value on your life being twenty percent better, you know, like twenty percent less stressed, twenty percent less hard on yourself, twenty percent more clear minded so you can make better decisions." If you had to pay for that, like what would that be worth to you? Like a lot of fucking money. And then then you have the compound interest of, you know, let's say you're going to be alive in another 40, 50 years, 50 years of like enjoying your life and being freer and making better decisions, both like for your health and your business and your well-being and your family. And it's just like, I think that's what I'm, I'm looking at now is like, how can I, you know, how can I improve that my day-to-day well-being? Because that's going to mm-hmm. compound over time, you know, a book I'd really recommend if you haven't picked it up. And it's probably like the book I'd recommend to almost everybody. Although Myth and Normal, I'm like 75% through and it's kind of, it's, it's, it's starting to go up there for me. Yeah. But um, Awareness by Anthony DeMello uh, is, is, is huge and, and he, it, it's like the closest that I've seen to someone just like uh, waking you up from the matrix in a way <laughs> and kind of just like yeah. seeing reality for what it really is because he really kind of illustrates in that book. It's, it's it, I really recommend getting the audible version if you can, because what it is is actually his lectures from like the eighties. And the book is basically just a distilled down kind of version of his lectures that he did. But I really like, him as a person his speaking is very unique uh he was a jesuit priest so he just has this really interesting it's not religious he actually the 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 catholic church actually like has disclaimers on his books even though he's really popular about like hey not everything he says actually aligns with the catholic church because he called out religion a lot like he was a jesuit priest he believed in you know god and all that stuff but he called out religion you know capital r religion like a lot which i'm not a religious person and i found it really interesting um how he kind of like cut through the bullshit but he he yeah i don't know like he he kind of really illustrates just like how much uh our conditioning 
affects our worldview, like yeah. society's conditioning and whatever. And it's like, I think he's the more philosophical, whereas like Gaber Mate is saying very similar things, but it's more grounded in kind of like science, reality, whatever. So it's really, I think they're good, good parallels. Um, but yeah, awareness by Anthony DeMille, really, really recommend. Um, nice. It, and I hate the fucking like we ha- we have a natural good talking about podcasts adequately. We have a really nice natural like good grounding point here. But there is something that I forgot to say that I really want to on the supplement front is if you're somebody who deals with anxiety, like I have, um, there is a a neuropeptide. It's you can get it as a nasal spray called Selink, S E L A N K, and it has significantly helped me with my anxiety. So if you're someone who deals, if you're an entrepreneur or just someone who's anxious and he deals with anxiety. There are things it's been shown to be, I'm not a doctor, but there's been a bunch of studies that have shown this to be just as effective as benzos, but without any of the addictive properties. So I've said, I'm saying this because like I have had a lot of friends try it and be like, holy shit, this has been a game changer for me. So I try to talk about it as much as I can because um, anxiety has been a probably the largest stressor of my life literally. Wow. And it has really helped me a lot. So I think that that, if, if, if uh, that might be a good kind of thing to look into um, if, if you're someone that deals with uh, a lot of anxiety, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's important that you're bringing awareness to like all possible solutions. I think I mean, I've always, a big thing I say in this podcast going towards what I say is for morning routines, but it applies to pretty much anything in life is to figure out what works for you. Try everything in a, in a healthy manner, but like try as many different things as possible uh, if you feel as though, you know, taking things like Xanax works, then good. That's good. If you feel like that's not really the solution for you yet, it's the only one that's kept being, you know, presented to you. It's definitely important to try as many different things as possible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, really the thing that's helped me the most that we didn't get into uh, also is sauna. I mm. get in the sauna probably two to three, well, one to three times a day most of the time. Damn, dude, I'm, I, I I'm a little jealous. I was listening it's, to the uh, the Rick Rubin episode of Joe Rogan, and he mentions how one of the things that he does in his day is he'll go ice bath, sauna, ice bath, sauna, ice bath like four times in a row and tries to push it. Like he'll spend up to like, I think he said his most is like 30 minutes in the ice bath, which is gnarly, dude, absolutely gnarly. And then he'll just yeah, go that's, sauna that's after I do cold showers. Um, I do cold showers most most days, uh, and, and it helps, particularly after a sauna. Uh, getting in the sauna ha- is has helped me more than anything, uh, along with meditation. But I think they go hand in hand because there's times yeah. when I am so stressed out, it is really hard for me to even like get myself grounded enough to even meditate properly. Um, so I'll go in the sauna and. You know, usually do about 30 minutes until I can't take it anymore. And then I'll do a cold shower. And then that takes my baseline down like to a manageable degree where then I can meditate yeah. and really be present. Um, so, and, and you know, as far as the sauna, you can get on Amazon for like a hundred bucks, like these, these kind of uh, uh, steam saunas and they come with like, kind of like a, a, a big kind of like tent. And then it'll actually like, like a, almost like a humidifier pump, hot, hot, hot air into it um, like steam, you know, it's just basically just a, an industrial humidifier. And the only problem with that is I had to actually have two of those rigs and I had to like kind of hack it and have two of them going into the tent at once to get it to how hot I wanted it to be, but I'm crazy. 
Um, and I ended up upgrading to a thing called the Relax Sauna, which is the only type of sauna that actually has like FDA approval, as, and and uh, it actually like gets your core body temperature enough yeah. to to be the same as like the Swedish sauna studies. Uh, I wouldn't get any infrared saunas on Amazon that are like, you know, the two, three hundred, five hundred dollar ones because they just they're not effective enough um, from everything that I've seen. Like a bunch of people have done a bunch of tests online and they don't raise core body temperature that much. Yeah, same goes for yeah. trusting your your supplements, trust like all pretty like look into what you're gonna yeah. buy if it's a, a yeah. if it's a health related purchase, most purchases, but like with anything you're doing putting into your body, doing to your body definitely do the time and research because that shit could have permanent negative effects for sure. And then the, the thing that I like about the relax sauna is that I get, uh, you know, they're not cheap. It's like 1400 bucks, but for me, the ROI is insane because like yeah. compared, it is the only thing that has been comparable to like an actual full size, like real sauna that you would get, you know, find at like a fucking a, a high quality gym or something like that. Like, I get in it and within like five minutes, like I'm sweating like a lot. Uh, I've tried like four other types of saunas that you have at the house. And like, they just don't even like the big, like $2,500, like infrared saunas that you, you know, can get like a kid at like Costco or something like that. I've been in one of those and they're not as effective as this thing. So it, it's one of those things where like 1400 bucks might be a lot for you or might not be a lot depending on, you know, where you're at in your life. But to me, if you can afford it, it, I, I wish I would have got it sooner. Uh, I kind of, I was kind of like seeing, okay, well maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. And I held off and I kind of wish I would have just got it sooner to be honest with you. Yeah. Like part of the reason I held off is cause like, Oh, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to build out a proper one and all this stuff. And it's just like, I don't really even need to do all that now because this thing's so effective. Um, like having a full sauna and, and it just seems like a pain in the ass at this point in my life. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like it. It does well. Um, really helps me a lot but uh but yeah man this has been fun it's been fun. yeah dude last one where can people find you joshboon.com and uh josh boon show on youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts i'm sure i'll come right up there we go what do you talk about on the podcast because the one i listened to was a it was a straight recording um of one of your i don't know if it was client or friend talks but it was about adhd but i've seen you also have you have doctors on there. You have people who've gone through some serious trauma. You have had um, other fellow entrepreneurs who face mental challenges. Like what, what's kind of like the main thing about your show? I think it's, it's, it's relatively loose. It's kind of my version of the Joe Rogan show. That's why I called it the Josh Boone show. I didn't give it a name because that was a very intentional decision. I mean, branding and positioning is what I do for a living. And to me, the long goal was just making it about me. And what I mean by that is like, it's whatever the hell I find interesting. Yeah. And whatever topics and people I find interesting, I didn't want to give it a name because I knew eventually that name would be too much of a pigeonhole. Like it would, it would keep me kind of contained. Um, so that was an intentional decision, but really, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's me kind of scratching my own itch, just wanting to talk with people that I feel like might have something to teach me. I can learn, or I just like having these intellectual jam sessions with. So it, you know, I'll have some people on that are like, you know, really interesting. Like the one, uh, Dr. Mark Verderbruggen, he's like a, one of the world's experts on foraging. 
like 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 going out and like foraging like different plants and stuff like that. I had no idea anything about that. He taught me so much stuff about like rewilding, like like trying to re reestablish permaculture in your backyard, all this crazy stuff. Like, you know, I, I've talked with um just really interesting people. So I think the commonality is just either A, talking with people that are kind of these like obscure experts. Uh, in these kind of fringe areas and seeing how that colors their worldview. And that's been really interesting talking with like people that are in like buyer psychology, you know, like on marketing, but how that colors their worldview, uh, you know, as a person uh, looking at society um, or a doctor or something like that. And the other is just like with my buddy, Sam McNerney having these kind of weird, deep philosophical conversations. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of things. Um, yeah, dude. I uh, what I what I took from that. I so I like to. I really like words. I really like writing, talking, um, anything to do with words. And I have a combination on my in my notes app of well, one I've been doing this for years, but like all the quotes I collect, I like. But then I have one section for like words and phrases I like. And you just said two in one sentence. Um, intellectual jam sesh. Never heard that before. That's awesome. And then obscure experts is another one. I'm noticing a lot of the patterns of the words and phrase I like is um, two two words that don't normally go together. Um, and it's like an adjective and a noun, like obscure expert. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just something pretty cool. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's something yeah, about I've me. Got, I've got a file that's probably like 40, maybe like 20 pages deep at this point for my own positioning you know, my own marketing where I'm just accumulating all these ideas and all these messaging. It's the same thing I do for clients. Like it's kind of just like a a swipe file of all these different ideas and examples and stuff. And it's just growing and growing and, and uh, it's hard, you know? I mean, I think that's one of the things is that the podcasting is evolving at such a rate. And also my interest as a podcaster have been slowly changing and evolving. So it's just going to be this reoccurring. Same thing's going to happen with you. It's just going to be this ongoing relationship of, of your show kind of slowly pivoting with you. And yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I see so, it already. Well, this is an awesome uh, second yeah. jam session and hope we do more down the road, man. Of course, dude. Thanks for coming on, Josh. Maybe, maybe I'll go on the Josh Boone show when, when I become an obscure expert. <laughs> let's do it all right see you dude later man